0: Well last night our family had another couple over. They have done ministry throughout the world. And they told us a story of their, their good friend. Her name, uh, I'll nickname her Nessie if you would. Uh, partly because I can't remember her real name. But her, Nessie was in high school and one day she was taking a shower and she heard what she thought was an audible voice say, I will wash away your sins. And, doesn't take much imagination, that freaked her out a little bit. And so she, you know, she dried off, went down, said to her mom, Mom, you know, know, I just heard this voice that said, you know, I will wash away your sins. And her mom said, I don't know what to make of that. You should go ask the imam. So, they did. And the imam, the local imam, said, there's only one prophet that speaks that way. Isa. And so she went away and that was kind of all she got out of it. And, you know, never really left her mind. But in that same period, her sister had gone overseas to study in Amsterdam. And in Amsterdam, she ran across a church that spoke her language, and she went to be part of it, and she began to get to know people, and someone presented the gospel to her, and she trusted Jesus as her Savior, and was just so happily born again. And one day, not long after that, a Dutch woman came up to her sister and said, I had a dream about you last night. You were sitting on the edge of a bed talking with two people who were weeping. I think you need to go back and see your family. And I've already bought your ticket. And so, of course, she took the ticket and She got on the plane and uh kind of the way that they do things there. She didn't really tell anyone she was coming. So she gets there and she knocks on the door of her family's home and they open it and they're all excited. Of course, they throw her arms around her. And before she even steps in, she says, I have something important I need to tell you. And Nessie was on the other side of the threshold. She said, you came here to tell us about Jesus, didn't you? And they went in the other room and sat on the bed and she introduced her mom and her sister to Jesus and they became believers that day. And it wasn't really until a couple years later when her dad became became a Christian, but the whole family came to Christ because of that sister who came and gave the word about Jesus to Nessie and her family. Now, I tell you that because that's one of the strangest stories I've ever heard, I have to say. Right? How could something like that happen? What really was going on in uh, their hometown in Amsterdam? And what was going on in this family? And is that the kind of thing that might go on Around here, for someone else that you might know. Well, I want to invite you to to look in the Scriptures for the answer. So take your Bible, and if you would turn to Romans chapter 10, Romans chapter 10 happens to talk about this very same thing. Romans chapter 10 tells us both how people come to faith in Jesus and... How some people don't. It really shows us what it is that draws the line in the sand that where some come to faith in Christ and others don't. And so we'll begin reading in Romans chapter 10, uh, verse 14. "How then will they call on him whom they have not believed, and how are they to believe in him? whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they've not all obeyed the Gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes by hearing and hearing By the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation, With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek Me. I have shown Myself to those who did not ask for Me. But of Israel, he says, All day long I have held out My hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Well, here we have a part of the explanation for how people come to faith in Jesus. And it comes right on the heels of... of, I'm, I'm quite a Bible scholar to know these things. But verse 14 comes right on the heels of verse 13. Verse 13 is one of the most glorious invitations in all of the Bible. Call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. And so I asked the question then, if you're going to call upon the name of the Lord to be saved, how then are they going to call on whom they've not believed? And how will they believe on whom they've not heard? And how will they hear without someone preaching? One of the things that's just beautiful about this text is that the invitation is completely open. It could not be more open uh, for you to trust in Jesus. The promise that you call the name of the Lord and you will be saved, it couldn't be better than that. And that beautiful, open invitation follows on the heels of... I'm good this way too. Romans 10 comes right after Romans 9. Romans 9... Is about election. It's about God choosing some. And people get all in a nod about that. And then you get to Romans 10, and Romans 10 says, whosoever will may come. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord can come. And here it tells us the means by which God chooses some and exercises his choice. By them calling and believing and hearing and someone being faithful to preach. Now, it's easy to kind of misunderstand what he's talking about when uh, he's talking about preaching because there are people like me who just invite misunderstanding. Because... He's not really talking about standing in front of a congregation and talking about God's Word. He's talking about, well, maybe being on the corner of a bed and telling your mom and your sister about Jesus. He's talking about being on a treadmill at the gym and sweat dripping down and you're telling your friend who meets you there every morning about Jesus. He's talking about grabbing a rake and going next door and Helping your neighbor rake leaves. Or better yet, having them come over and help you rake leaves and tell them about Jesus. That's the kind of preaching He's talking about. It's someone who just has something to tell. Someone who has something to tell. And those who have called upon the name of the Lord already are those who then have something to tell. And so... He goes farther and says, how are they uh, to preach unless they are sent? And so, preaching doesn't happen in the huddle. It doesn't happen necessarily even in the church meeting. It happens out there. It happens with your coworkers. It happens in the car. It happens at the coffee shop. When you're sent out to be preaching. That's what he's talking about. And so, how are they going to do that if they all stay in here? And in order to bolster his case here, he says, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. I mean, all of you, just take a moment, look down at your feet. That doesn't excuse you. I'm just going to say. Because here, what, he, what he's saying is it is good news to receive good news. To be on the receiving end, it makes you happy and you can, you can look at the person coming and it's just so great to hear them coming with good news. That's really what he's talking about, how beautiful it is. This is a, this is a quote from Isaiah chapter 52. Verse 7. And the reason I want to show this to you is it adds some things to, to fill out a little bit of the flavor of this good news. How beautiful upon the mountain are the feet of Him who brings good news. Okay, that's what he quoted. Who publishes peace. Who brings good news of happiness. Who publishes salvation. Who says to Zion, Your God reigns. You see, that... That really is the message of Jesus, isn't it? My peace I give to you, my peace I leave with you. It's peace not like the world could give. He says, I have come that your joy might be, that you might have joy and that your joy might be full. Jesus' very name, Yeshua, means Yahweh saves. And so, it is really this message of Jesus that you believe and embrace that enables you then to have something to say to somebody, and it is the the person of Jesus, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, that enables us to say, "Our God reigns, and so that 's the good news the good news is that we have a God who reigns over sin, reigns over death, reigns over this world and one day will set everything right. That's good news. That's good news, and that good news then is just spread person to person. That's the idea here in Romans chapter 9. But I said there that's how that's how the The good news spreads, and that's how people like Nessie hear about Jesus. But not all have obeyed the gospel. That's kind of an interesting phrase, isn't it? Obey the gospel. You might expect him to say, believe the gospel. You might expect him to say uh, something that sounds more negotiable then obey the Gospel. But you realize that it isn't really negotiable. With the God who reigns over all the earth inviting you to come so that you call upon the name of the Lord and are saved, there's not much negotiation there. You either come or you don't. You either refuse the invitation or you come. You obey. When He says come, you obey. Or you don't. And he says, not all have obeyed. In fact, he does define for us obey when he says, Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed? What does it mean to obey the Gospel? It means to believe it. It means to embrace it. It means to come and actually call on the name of the Lord. So when I do that, I'm obeying the Gospel. And then he quotes Isaiah again. Now, just one thing about this text i I, i'm trying to show at least most of the verses up here because otherwise you just be flipping around the whole morning but what he's doing is he's taking the the fabric of this old of the old testament and and it's like he's just cutting out patches and he's bringing them over in the new testament and he's sewing together this beautiful quilt of the gospel that enables him then to say here's good news Go ahead and call on the name of the Lord, and you'll be saved. And so he takes another passage from Isaiah. It's just down the page from the one he already quoted when he says, Lord who has believed what he's heard from us. That is Isaiah fifty three Verse one Lord who has believed what he's heard from us. There we go. Okay, that's not too hard. That's what he quotes. But I want you to see, again, I'm showing this to you because the Old Testament, when he pulls, when he takes that patch and he puts it in the New Testament, he brings with it all of the color and all of the texture of this Old Testament piece when he brings it to the New Testament and he says, who's believed what he's heard from us? And this is what he says. Some of you will catch on to this pretty soon. He says, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Then he says, for He... I wonder who that is. For that He grew up in Him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at Him. No beauty that we should desire Him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed Him not. The iniquity of us all. Did you figure out who Him was? Who He was? When no one has believed our report, it is a report about Jesus. And that's what he's wanting to do. He's wanting to import this and say, you have known the Gospel all along. It's been in your book. Are you going to believe it? And this is a sign of his clincher. He says faith comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. The goal of the the proclamation, the goal of the preaching, if you will, is faith. Won't you trust Jesus? And where does that faith come from? See, that's one of the things I hear a lot. I don't know if I have enough faith. I don't know if I... I mean, how am I going to know if I have enough faith? You know what? It isn't about how much you have. It's about what your faith is in. The strength of faith is not the the subject or the person having the faith. The strength of faith is the object of faith. What I'm actually trusting in. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. Now, I'm going to admit, I I think I have sort of taken this in the wrong way most of the time. I I read this as though it were synonymous for hearing, uh, faith comes by hearing and hearing through the Word of God. In fact, I think the King James uh, has a variant there that says Word of God. And so, I just bring that over and I think it's the word of Christ. Like, Christ is talking. But it isn't, I don't think it's that. I don't think it, if you say that, that's not a big deal. That's fine. But I think it's more accurate to think of it in terms of it is the word about Christ. So let's just take Christ out of it and say, say it's somebody named John. Okay? And I'd say, have you heard the word of John? And you'd say, is, "Are you talking about John, something John said, or are you, or is it what somebody told you about John?" You see, if you take it, just just take Christ out of it and you put somebody else's name, you're gonna you're gonna realize it. It really is the word of Christ. It is the word about Christ. Frankly, it's the word we just read in Isaiah 53. That the Lord has placed on Him the iniquity of us all. That's the Word about Christ. And you hear that, that's what you need to latch onto. The fact that Jesus came and died for your sins. That you might be set free. And you might be reconciled to God. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word about Christ. Now, this is this is the the happy side of the equation. I'm going to say. This is about people who um, call, who believe, who hear, who preach, who are sent, who have faith in the word about Christ. So you might think of this as the happy side of the. Um, the, the same idea. The other side begins now. In verse 18. So, now, it you can just even tell by the tone of it. But I ask you, haven't they heard? Really? Haven't they? And he, he, he says, you know what? There are those who have heard and do not respond. In fact, that's that's, I think the reason this is here is because they have a division in this church between the Jews and the Gentiles. And he's trying to explain to them that no one is God's favorite. Everyone comes to, to God in the same way, by grace through faith, believing the Word about Christ. But guess what? Not everyone believes it. They have heard it. And again, he quotes from the Old Testament here, and from Psalm chapter 19, verse 4. Their their voice has gone out to all the earth; their words to the end of the world. As it says in Romans 1:18, they are all without excuse. They all have enough revelation from God that they've heard. Just in case. You missed the tone with the first question. He asks another one. But I ask Did not Israel understand? Yeah, I think they did. And so it is the word of Christ, you see, that you have to decide about. And it is the word of Christ which it said in chapter 9 says it is the stone of stumbling and the rock of offense. Your some are going to stumble on it. Some are going to be crushed by it. And some are going to embrace it and be saved. But did not Israel understand? He says, first, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Now that's a... That's an interesting way for God to talk, isn't it? Surely you would think you know, God would play nice. Right? Why would God make someone jealous? Well, let's, let's look at Deuteronomy 32, where this comes from. And notice it doesn't start with what he quotes. It says, "...they have made me jealous." God says, with what is not, what is, what is no God, they have provoked me to anger with their idols. You see, son, it's just a complete misunderstanding about the character of God to say, well, you know, why is God doing that? Why is God making them angry or making them jealous or, you know, why are they not coming to faith in Jesus? When God could just select them. Listen, it's because they love other things. It's because they are actually provoking God Himself to jealousy. With their idolatry, with the other things they prefer over God. It's really interesting to me that someone might think the the God of the universe, the creator of the world who sent his son to be the Savior, that he would be interested in negotiating second or third place in someone's life. God's not going to do that. God is God. And we have to come to terms with God as God rather than with God as maybe an alternative in my constellation of really good things that I have in my life. Because if we treat God as one of the many things that are uh, circling around the orbit of my life, then we qualify for the first part of this verse. We provoke Him to anger with our idols and we make Him jealous. And then this is... It is in response, you see, to their preference of uh, other things that he says, So I'll make them jealous with those who are no people. I'll provoke them to anger by a foolish nation. And you see, God is, in Deuteronomy, a scorned lover. And so when we fast forward to Romans 9, he is pulling, again, he's cutting out a stitch of God as a scorned lover, bringing it forward to the New Testament saying, if you're thinking anything else about God, you're misunderstanding Him. He loves you. He's reaching out to you. He's, He's inviting you to call and be saved. In fact, He's willing to provoke you to jealousy or anger or any other emotion to get your attention so you will respond to Him. And so He goes back to Romans 9. Again, you see, this does look like a quilt, doesn't it? Patch, 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 patch. Old Testament, Old Testament, Old Testament. All the way through here. Then Isaiah Is so bold as to say, and I'm not going to turn to this. This is Isaiah 65, 1 and 2, but basically it's just verbatim, so there's no sense showing you Isaiah 65. He says, I have been found by those who did not seek me, I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. I think he has in mind, I think he has in mind those who are Gentiles. Those who would be outside of the people of God. They are the ones who have been invited in. They have, they have heard that call. They have, they have responded to that preacher. They have embraced that Savior. And they have found the love of Christ. And then he says, but of Israel. So you see, there is this great divide around the person of Jesus. The people who were out have been brought in. The people who, were, who thought they were in have been disobedient and contrary. But of the people of Israel, He says all day long, I've held out My hands to a disobedient and contrary people. So, I want you to notice the body language of God. Because, alright, I've just been preaching on Romans 9. We've talked about it in our life group. And there is this impression that when we're talking about God choosing some, that God's body language is like this. No no, no, no. Well, maybe you. Okay, but there is this—that that God is somehow holding people who really want a relationship with God away. That's not the body language of God at all. You see, the body language of God here is—it's the body language of the Father in the story of the prodigal son, who goes out every day to look for his son it is god holding out his hands saying won't you come won't you come won't you come and you know what happens people don't come and so what election looks like with this body language is come 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 right you see it's it's the language It's the language of the body language of parents who are so happy to have their kids home for the holidays. I I just thought that I would exploit the moment. Okay, I've I've only been a grandfather for just a little while, right? But I want you to see the body language. I want you to see what it looks like. Okay, and so I want to just ask, son, come here, come here, come here, come see grandpa, come here, come see grandpa. Come on. It's okay. It's okay. Come here. It's okay. You don't want to come? All day long. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll catch up with him after the service. <clears throat> Part of the reason I did that, I, I sort of thought he would not come. If I was him, I wouldn't have come either. <laughs> But what I I wanted you to recognize, number one, God loves you more than I love my grandson. God invites you to come more often than I invite Him to come. And you're going to have to decide what you're going to do with the invitation that you receive that all who call upon the name of the Lord might be saved. The other thing I want you to to notice about that, I'm guessing that at least a couple of you sort of wished he would come up here. Like, he's pretty cute. I'd really like him to go. I want him to come too. That'd be fabulous. You'd love it if he was up here with me right now. And I would suggest to you that that is also the the posture of those who are the preachers, who are just pointing people to the invitation that God gives them to call upon the name of the Lord and you'll be saved. Won't you go? Come on. Come on. Go. Go. I want you to go. And it's it's that deep down compassion and heartfelt love for somebody that enables you to be that person who issues the invitation. again, it couldn't be farther from what from someone who thinks that they're you know doctrinaire saying, "Only God only elect some. Oh my goodness, if you are ever there, repent right now, because God is not like this. God is like this, and when nobody comes, He grabs them. He just runs right down. And He grabs them. Hi. He grabs them, and He loves them, and He welcomes them into the family. And that is the posture both of God inviting you and you as a preacher inviting someone else to come into the family of God, and all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Will you join me as we pray? Heavenly Father, what a humbling thing to think that You hold out Your hands for us. You're waiting, waiting, waiting for us to come to You. Father, if there is someone here This morning, who has just been putting it off, putting it off, putting it off. Father, convince them this morning that you love them and you're just holding out your hands of invitation. That they might call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Father, would you just give them grace in their hearts that they might just in a word say, God save me. And would you do that for them and change them? And we're just, we're just so thankful that we've gotten to hear the Word of Christ this morning, that you have taken our iniquity and laid it on Him, and it's the Word of Christ that produces faith in us. Lord, we need that and we believe it. God, would you, would you help us, help our unbelief this morning, that we might believe the Word of Christ. And it's in His matchless name that we ask this. Amen.